Right, we're rolling. On this podcast, we'll be talking about different areas of business and all things marketing. My name is Dave Doyle. And I'm Dave Alton. This is Social Antics, another marketing podcast. Hey guys, welcome to episode 5 of Social Antics, another marketing podcast. Uh, my own name is Dave Doyle and I'm joined here by Dave Alton. Weird week, Dave? Back in fucking lockdown. Again. Again. <laughs> again we're back in lockdown. Six weeks to go. Oh, it's crazy. Absolutely crazy. And there's no, like, like people are talking about Christmas then as well. Like the, the word from the government is that you're going to go from five back to at most three which in the context of Christmas means 15 people sitting outside yeah, a pub in, in Ireland, like in Spain, maybe, like, but not in Ireland. Mm. So I know, look, it is rough. Like I was talking to, like obviously we'd work with a lot of um, local businesses and know a lot of local business owners and stuff like that. And like, like a few of them there now were saying that like we were given the news and I had to let go of 20 staff. Yeah. Just like that. Like, do you know what I mean? Everyone's back on the, the, yeah. the pub payment and all the rest of it. So now it is... Um, it's a wild world we live in. It's back to square one. And where we're based anyway, for anyone that's not listening in Cork, what I felt was terrible was we got the news that the lockdown was going to happen. And what happened the next morning? A flood hit Cork and loads of businesses absolutely destroyed. Oh, uh, it was 2020, which, like the worst yeah, year ever. Two, two days to make a bit of sales before lockdown. And unfortunately, uh, you know, hearts go out to a lot of businesses that, that might not have been able to get open for the last few days. But and you can't, like ultimately, like, I mean, it's not as simple as just closing for a day. Like, I mean, stock replenishment out the window, cleaning costs, all the rest. Like, and then just, I think, or people often, they look at the economic side of this, but the sheer emotional impact that it must have on business owners. Like if you've been trying for this year, given how tumultuous it has been, and then all of a sudden, you're closed again and then you're hit with a flood and more bills and bills and bills and your cash flow must be devastated. No, I don't. I mean, look, fair play to local businesses for, again, keeping the economy going, but it must be it must be devastatingly mm-hmm. tough at the moment. I suppose anyone, even for ourselves, like anyone that we can help out or give a bit of advice to, feel free to get in touch with us uh, over the next couple of weeks if you're looking at your marketing or business strategy. Uh, we're going to the first part of anyway. So any news popping up, Dave? Um, I suppose the first one, which I just thought was, it was an it's an interesting because it's an interesting move, but Facebook have launched a dating platform, um, which I thought was <laughs> really. I saw it popped up. I, I follow the Irish Examiner. It wasn't an ad. Didn't realize how desperate and lonely I am, but the um, no, I just think it's actually it's actually fascinating. So if you look at dating apps and the way they've evolved over time, like you started with kind of eHarmony, which is web based, and you inputted all your information. Then you had Tinder, which is based on um entirely based on looks. Essentially, it was quick decision making. Um, again, it was almost the um the Snapchat like kind of idea. Getting that dopamine hit, yes, no, yes, no. This person likes me, and so on, and so forth. Um, then you have Bumble, which kind of looked at things a little bit differently in so much as they let the female ask first, because again, Tinder kind of became a bit creepy in terms of the, the culture that was surrounding Tinder, um, which is basically kind of um, writing culture, basically. <laughs> um, and now Facebook have brought out a dating app. Now, I suppose what, what I think is fascinating about this is that if you take, go back to the very, very start, eHarmony, uh, by the way, if you listen, I don't have any Harmony account, but I know, <laughs> how, I know how it works. So you input all your information. I like cats, I like dogs, I like parachuting, whatever whatever you're into and so on and so forth. 
With Facebook, you don't need to do that. It's already they all have they have all of your yeah. data, and not even the the stuff that you put out in terms of your profile photo, in terms of your age and your interests and what you like. But like they know, like are you into blondes or brunettes? Absolutely. Are you into Absolutely. bald blokes like myself? Are you into <laughs> fellas with dreadlocks? Do you know what I mean? They they know your history because you put it all up on Facebook. Who do you hang around with most? Who do you post your photos in? most um, what kind of food do you like everything yeah. all of that kind of stuff so does it present a huge opportunity for advertisers as well maybe in terms of if you again I don't know is it matching or whatever whatever way they do the the um, the matching or the hookups is that then do you get a notification saying this restaurant is doing a deal on this particular day or something like but, that but even even right now even before this is even launched you can target people that are single that are interested you know it's already kind of the capabilities of that is nearly already there I suppose it's just going to be a little bit stronger it's now, going to be yeah it's going to be it's Tinder on acid yeah. basically because now you're looking at people again you're probably again I, I don't know exactly how this works but you um, you have the um, you have the situation whereby obviously you're going to make a decision based on how someone looks in terms of your immediate kind of um, introduction to that person like any kind of dating platform but you would imagine with the amount of data that Facebook have that it's going to be pretty close in terms of this person should be a relatively close match for you mm-hmm. based on your personality types, based on your behavior, based on where you go, based on where you visit, based on your p- previous dating habits. It's kind of creepy. It's bordering on the, again, I hate like society's thing at the moment is that, oh, isn't it a bit like Black Mirror? I hate when people <laughs> say that, but I'm going to say it. It's a bit like Black Mirror. But even if you look back, you know, going back to the, the film I think we mentioned here before the social network uh, where it's looking back into the days of creation of Facebook like it was almost going down that path nearly at, you know if you watch the film version of it like you know it was nearly going down that path of maybe creating a, a dating profile I think yeah I think the main the main I think one of the main things that um, that was almost the um, the hook we often call it when we're talking about apps the thing that keep, keeps people coming back is that they, they had the, the relationship status yeah. which is something that was never on any other platform previously and it was again where are you sitting in class who you hang around with that was the social profile that was online mm-hmm. and it was back like I mean look we know how digital technology works technology and digital identities that are performed shall we say on social media they're ultimately augmented because they're a part of you which is just reflected on a digital platform so no interesting in terms of um, again how Facebook's there and I suppose they've come full circle but um, it'll be interesting for advertising opportunities mm-hmm. I think I think that's the other thing we kind of talked about before about kind of Facebook or they've jumped into so many different areas and tried out so many different tools that it might work, it might not. You know, some people might never even hear of this, like, you know, it might not even launch anywhere big, but definitely interesting to keep it's in all mind. Of, it's all over Europe, apparently. Yeah. Um, but again, but no, you are right. Facebook have this kind of strategy where they throw so much stuff at a wall and some of it works, some of it doesn't. Like, the stories hasn't been a hit mm-hmm. at all. Now, obviously, they own Instagram as well, so it doesn't really, it doesn't necessarily make any difference. Um, but they've done a few stuff over the years which hasn't really worked at all. But again, will this work? Again, it comes down to what people use it for. And you also probably have to think about the age profile that are going to be using Facebook. Which will be older. You'd which imagine. will be older. So are they going to be using this as a dating platform, I suppose? Do you know that kind as of opposed that's, to a hookup app? Like is it the right, is it the yeah, right yeah, yeah. platform for them? Like you know, It could be, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting. Um, you've already touched on it there about uh, stories. Uh, the news that caught my eye this week, which only launched uh, yesterday, probably a couple of days by the time this podcast comes out. But... Once again, another platform trying some new some new tools out. So LinkedIn launched uh, Stories uh, worldwide. Um, basically, it's an Instagram-style format where they're bringing out stories using photos, videos, up to 20 seconds, offering a more casual, I suppose, and, and immediate way to share um, content. 
viewable for 24 hours, same as the other platforms. Um, it's basically capitalizing now on the on the popularity that video has caused over the last few years, really, like, you know. Um, members and brands are going to have the ability to incorporate and customize work stickers in stories. So I think they're kind of looking at a way of incorporating employees in your groups. You know, they kind of have that big that you can say you work for this company and all that anyway. But they're bringing in like moment of the day and all this kind of stuff like into stickers. So taking some of the stickers maybe from Instagram and more down the route of business and internal. And Yeah, it's a, it's a strange one. Like, I mean, it is something that has been a cultural phenomenon over the last, um, well, particularly on social media and particularly with LinkedIn where work and where you work is now very much part of your social identity even as much business, as your work one. businesses are almost annoyed if you don't have that you work for them on yeah it's very know. strange like i mean the, the the employees are are a fundamental part of the brand, business's yeah. brand and then similarly the business's brand that you work for is very very important to you and again and again that's why a lot of these companies like you see it there now with a lot of the tech startups shall we say and Again, they don't pay you that well, but you get to sit in a beanbag and, do you know what I mean, all this kind of stuff. Do you know what I mean? And it's, again, it's all part of it like that. sitting in a beanbag at home at the moment. And, that, and that's what it is. And, it, and I think that's what's crucially important. Like, I remember working for a company a few years ago and they were really, really struggling to hire. They were offering good wage and all that for, for programmers. And I said to them, if you go onto your uh, Facebook feed, go onto your website, and it was sterile. It was all about, uh, they were selling SaaS software for yeah. whatever it was. It doesn't make a difference. But then I was saying, go on to Blizzard, go on to teamwork.com, go on to any of the gaming companies. Um, and again, it was the beanbags, the, yeah. the fridge full of drink. It was the, the work nights out, the barbecues, the big spaces, the and slides. And that stock imagery was actually staff that were working there, enjoying themselves. Exactly, yeah. And I think that's, and particularly for young people now, um, like, and it's one of the, the phenomenon that I think is going to emerge from this um, work from home thing. Like young people like going to work mm. if it is a nice place to work because it's a social place and um, because a lot of younger people or even we say we say it was from the early 20s upwards and um, a lot of people don't own their own home at the moment and um, so therefore they go to they want to go to a place where they have a nice desk they have an office they can meet people because they don't like working in again the place where they're sleeping three meters away from where they're actually working so that whole element is going to become even more important which is where recruiting talent and promoting what it's like to work in a place and work culture is going to become really really important for businesses i think and this this idea of the the linkedin stories i think filters into how they can communicate that in a really really effective way you know i think personally i think linkedin is a fantastic platform and it's only gotten better over the last couple of years the only thing i don't want this to see is some LinkedIn trying to be something it's not. Do you know? I don't want it to go too far down the. Do you know the almost? I don't know the way of saying it. Probably the personalization route. Like you know, I think they should. Any marketers or or uh, managers using or business owners using in LinkedIn or using LinkedIn Stories should keep it creative. Yes, but remember the platform that they're on. I suppose. As yeah, well. it's for you. Yeah, but I think I think B two B is is almost an uncracked nugget in many ways in terms of marketing and unlocking marketing capability like the majority of um of jobs in marketing is in b2b it's not in b2c b2c is a tough tough industry to make it as a marketer if you take your standard b2b again SaaS company to a healthware provider to a factory to manufacturer you're probably selling one unit for fifty thousand euros yeah. and you're selling into it's more of a sales process whereas with marketing particularly in um, a consumer packaged goods industry it's a mass market so branding becomes really really important but i think in the like i find people or marketers are starting to realize that when you're selling even to a business or you're selling to another salesperson you're still selling to a person so 
the idea of doing something really really creative with your product and again going down that storytelling route i think is going to become more important in in a b2b world so just to give you an example of this i am an ibm um company and i think it was ibm and uh, they released um it was a mini documentary 15 minutes long um whereas basically the anatomy of a hack so if you look at the anatomy of a hack in terms of how it works, I actually didn't know how you would actually hack an organization was this documentary showed it. And it was just at the very, very end that they showed how their system would prevent this from happening. So it was actually an interesting piece of content in and of itself. And I didn't feel like I was being constantly sold to. And that's where B2B, I think, kind of falls down a lot is that it is very, very salesy still. And they don't look at the, the creativity behind how can I promote my product and the differentiation of my product relative to my competitors in a really, really interesting and thoughtful way. So what you're saying there lines in with um, Tom Pepper, Head of Marketing Solutions, UK, Ireland and Israel, uh, came out and said that we believe stories can become an integral part of brands' communication strategies and my advice to any brands looking to experiment with stories is just do it. Uh, a great thing about stories is that they don't have to be slick or overproduced and as long as they are authentic and match your brand and audience, they will hopefully be successful for you i think definitely as you said there like you know looking at who your audience is and, and a new way of tapping into them i suppose i've I've heard that the stories there might be quite clunky and a bit you know ugly to use they wouldn't be as slick maybe as, as stories on instagram or reels but um i suppose we have to kind of see what we but they need to, they need to fix that i mean it doesn't matter if it's linkedin if it's b2b or whatever again consumers aren't going to engage with a clunky experience they just won't yeah I, as i said i think it's a great platform but i just wanted to LinkedIn to stay. Yeah, no, and I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not sure it is a good platform. Actually, I kind really? of, I kind of disagree with you. There. I don't. There, to me, again, it's too early to be arguing. <laughs> I oh, yeah, probably. But to me, again, it's too like there's people and they post stuff up on LinkedIn, and I know them, and I'm like, why are you? Why do you turn into such a bullshitter on LinkedIn? Why are you just like? Do you know what I mean? You're a renegade, like, and you're presenting this absolutely false persona of yourself oh look this would be a really interesting ebook for you to for all of my well, connections suppose, to download it's like come on social media in general like oh no it's all lies but i think <laughs> you can kind of you can see what you'd like for your social self whereas when you're talking about your business or your work self it's just a bit kind of are you kind of doing it all for the man then like do you know what i mean so i don't and again and i think like with linkedin as well i think their business model is phenomenal by the way it's better than all the other social media networks in that facebook all of their uh, revenue comes from advertising and mm-hmm. um, with linkedin you've got some of their money coming from the recruiters you've got some of it coming from sales in terms of sales navigator and then you've got your marketing teams and your advertising so that split in terms of a portfolio of different uh, revenue sources means that they have a really 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 effective business model so no I, I i i like linkedin as a business but as a platform and just i just feel it's a bit it's a little bit sterile, I think. Um, but it is getting better. What, what is your favourite platform? Oh, Twitter. Twitter. Oh, by a, hundred, oh, by a distance. Yeah. Um, news, headlines, quick. I know what's going on. Scroll through it. Probably the first thing that I check in the morning. Um, like, it, it's just, everything's quick. It's instantaneous. I'm not one for, again, really discussions or conversations on Twitter. I don't really do it. I don't engage in debates or anything like that. Um, but as a kind of an information source... Um, I think it's really, really good, and the odd and dancing dogs as well. You have to love dancing dogs. TikTok's good for that as well, to be fair. So yeah, actually, the the next news topic now actually leads us nicely into today's focus topic, which is going to be around the future of digital advertising. And to me, the next crowd, um, the next brand are probably up there with one of the world's top advertising uh, companies. 
uh, well not companies but brands that, that get involved in advertising and that's Guinness and they've just announced a new um, alcohol free stout Dave what's your thoughts on alcohol free beer I suppose wouldn't be a fan of the alcohol I had it once and I was never so hungover afterwards it was absolutely brutal given to you by mistake given to you by mistake yeah or look to be like look to be fair like a few of my buddies now would let's say they were driving or or whatever the story is I was going to say if any of them were like playing a match or something but not enough that's not that type of crew <laughs> watching so, a match watching a match yeah but no in fairness like it's, it's like some of them have started drinking alcohol free drink usually they'll make it a coke or something like that but now they would drink I, I alcohol free beer personally and, I do so yeah. like normally I'm driving so normally I, I would get Heineken Zero and you would notice a bit of the taste a difference but I, I, I think it's up there with them like you know it really is in terms of taste so like Guinness and the team now in St James's Gate have been very creative over they've been on this for four years and I think personally over the last few years they've actually been very creative with coming out with new brews and new beers and you know the porterhouse beer and all this kind of stuff they've been very creative I think they're good at latching on tri- like the like the Hop House 13 was a complete cannibalisation of craft breweries yeah, that was at the time do you know what I mean they do ones, really. they do the um, and again look Guinness are good at this Guinness know that they're not going to be a craft brewery so therefore they look at the, what's going on in the margins what are the trends and then how can we take a portion of that market or at the very least stop them taking a portion of that market from us I think, I think one of my favourite adverts that they ever done was probably actually around the time that they were probably starting this I would say now thinking back but when they came up with the whole uh, Guinness Clear campaign with the oh. you know, I thought that was genius um, absolutely genius so the brewers are claiming that this is boasting the same beautiful smooth taste uh, they're using the same ingredients which is water, barley, hops, yeast but obviously removing the alcohol through cold filtration method um, a car without petrol car. pointless, <laughs> absolutely pointless goodness sake Fair enough. Um, so anyway a couple of stats around it I suppose non-alcoholic, as you already said, look it's definitely um, the way things are going and Heineken sales of its own brand beer last year grew 8.3% in 2019 obviously because of Heineken Zero and that's after giving them the best performance um, in revenue in over 10 years and it actually rose their whole revenue by 6.4% um, but I think actually is a big help here and so when you're talking about alcohol advertising there's something which they call the final three feet which is basically when you're at the bar counter and you've got your taps in front of you yeah. and you can see the fridge and so on and so forth and that is when the, that's the most valuable space for an advertiser so you'd often hear again I have buddies who work in pubs and they'd say a Guinness rep would come in and say look I'll give you an extra keg if you throw the Heineken tap down the fucking other end of the yeah, bar like, it's, it's how it happened for years thing. and we Coke were one of the best for it uh, Coca-Cola they would come in and they would say oh we're bringing the top lads around next week is there any chance that you can fill up the bar and you come in you'd swear the whole place is sponsored by Coca-Cola like yeah. it was literally everywhere and I'm like it's such a false sense that these people are getting of the yeah, bars yeah, yeah, that their yeah. brand is absolutely everywhere, everywhere in every bar yeah, yeah, of course, I hate yeah. to be the market manager coming in and seeing it um, but it was it. But it's interesting though. So with that, what I've seen. So previously, if you looked at um, Heineken when they released first, and Carlsberg, and there was a few other non-alcoholic polliners and all those yeah. kind of ones. But they were all bottles. Yeah. And it was very, very distinct that you were drinking yeah. a non-alcoholic beer. Now with the when people are drinking non-alcoholic pints. It's actually not that it you can't distinguish like the logos are the same and they're mixing and matching the glasses now as well between the the alcohol free yeah, and the normal know. drink so no one actually knows so that stigma shall we say is kind of being subtly removed by just kind of not being able to tell what's going on I think it like in society in general anyway like before like I mean if I was a young fella now and I started drinking me alcohol free beer 
me buddies that kind of have their way with me kind of a thing do you know what I mean like whereas now one of the the biggest growing cohorts of non-alcoholic products is younger consumers because again they're more health conscious and so on and so forth and putting up fucking stories of themselves on Instagram looking fucking whatever ripped and all the rest of it going, <laughs> like to, yourself, the, going yeah. to the gym yeah <laughs> for our listeners no um, but I think again it is it is a it is a growing market it's the way it's going and um, I think what would be even more interesting is in a in a non-COVID world um, or sorry in a COVID world when COVID starts to filter out again where bars are more about sitting down as opposed to kind of going on the tear I think again that's a market that could be very very lucrative well you're going to have people back out eating and someone's going to have to drive more than likely yeah right? so exactly I, I do think as you said the stigma has gone out of it like you know it's actually kind of acceptable to sit there and drink a Heineken Zero or Guinness Zero now or you know Carlsberg have their own as well so it's very very interesting but I have another stat here that from uh, Global Market Insight so Beer itself, uh, the beer market is six hundred billion dollars uh, worth. But according to market, uh, sorry, global market insights, they're saying that the sales of non-alcoholic beer is expected to surpass twenty five billion by two thousand twenty four. Like, which is it's a big jump. It's, yeah, a, it's a big jump. Serious, serious um, uh, share of the market. Um, is that all for the news for this week? I just want to talk about because my favorite Guinness story. Can I talk about my favorite Guinness story, given oh, that we're talking about Guinness. <laughs> so people have story time with Dave. It's a new set. It's a new segment of the show. Um, so during the fighting in 1916 the Republic of Ireland trucks used by Guinness were converted into improvised armoured fighting vehicles by the British Army and used against the Republican forces and to this day it is not fully known whether those um, vehicles were donated by Guinness or whether they were demanded by the British Army from Guinness so Guinness being the most Irish brand in the world gunning down our own I'm not so sure I'm looking forward to the legal letter off Diageo yeah, sure, there thanks for that, the week yeah. we've consulted enough brands in every other episode no, but, it actually, but it, is, it is actually very very interesting that you have a story like that and again filtering into what we're going to be talking about in a minute in terms of advertising how you can weave a narrative around your brand over a long period of time and there's a lot of brands out there with again very very checkered pasts and histories like again I've said it before Volkswagen was um was a creation of the Nazis so was Hugo Boss um Guinness involved in this behavior with the British Army even though they're a very very Irish brand so it's very interesting over time how narratives can be transformed in terms of people's opinion towards advertisers mm. and brands and so on and so forth mm. Do you want to actually introduce what we're going to talk about this week? Yeah, so I suppose this week's um, focus topic, and again, it's more of a, I suppose it's not what's going on at the moment, but it's more of a kind of kind of a little bit of predictions going on, but it's talking about where the digital advertising market could potentially be going into the future. Um, what's going on a little bit now, but what are the things that businesses, brand owners are going to have to be conscious of in the future when they're looking at advertising spend? Um, I'd always approach... Like, I mean, for me, and I know you kind of disagree with me on this, but as far as I'm concerned, social media is pay-to-play. Okay. Um, very little that you can do organically. Yes, you can reach a certain audience, but I think that's really much a bubble. You will have a core following or you'll have a core brand community who your content constantly goes out to. But ultimately, I think if you want to grow your audience um, and target specific people even within that audience then you have to use the tools that are available to it. And unfortunately, that means pay-to-play I do, I do agree. I, I do totally agree with you. I suppose when I come at it slightly different is I hate when businesses go straight into paying for it and don't look at that organic or building up the actual, we talked about before, the whole actual use of social media and actually the way of using it. And that's what, that's I suppose, what I come at from a different angle. No, and look, brand building is, is crucially important, but I think what's really... Di- so... 
how all these things these things all evolve over time right so when brands started using facebook first the brands who started using facebook when it was primarily just organic created millions of euros for themselves in terms of valuation yeah, in the terms first of sales it, yeah. because they were the first ones on, on it the algorithm was built in such a way that if you reached a large audience which you would because the algorithm was built that way on social media it would increase your sales all of a sudden brand owners brand managers start realizing okay this social media stuff actually works and then as the algorithm diminishes your organic reach you all of a sudden have to substitute that reach with paid advertising so no i think before absolutely 100 percent, and even now i would agree with you brands still do have to put a lot of content out in social media and it do, i'm not saying it doesn't work but i'm saying the impact that it has relative to paid advertising is now a lot smaller and um, in, particularly in the initial phases and trying to building that content up over time yes there is obviously stories of influencers and brands who got a massive following over a short period of time but those are few and far in between overall it's very very difficult to grow a brand now on social media exactly. without using paid tools when you're talking well. about advertising there on social we kind of talked about it already a little bit like you know facebook is probably the king when it comes to online advertising oh no they, they're the only they're the, they're the only game in town when it comes to creative google is the only te- game in town when it comes to search. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, when it comes to kind of creative digital advertising, it's all Google. Yeah. Or it's Facebook. all Facebook. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like you can like the next probably for me personally, the next would be definitely Instagram. You know, there is still quite a good uh, advertising platform there. Well, it's the same same company. I've used Twitter once or twice. You know, I, I think know, it's terrible. It, it's awful. It, yeah, it's not great. Like you know, but then they say that because there's not a massive massive amount of ads being used or businesses being used there is quite a good reach if you can do it properly um, and then when you look at the other ones then like down LinkedIn I haven't experimented a massive amount with it but I do think it's it, there is quite a good bit in there that you can use but I think more so from a sales point of advert you know instead of actually adverts you know, it's more of a sales uh, kind of a Yeah, tool, like, I mean, the, like, so to go through some stuff that you said there, so Twitter, and I've used it a few times in campaigns, what I find with Twitter is that it's more effective in terms of kind of guaranteeing you sales because it's less saturated, like yeah. you said, but the cost per click or the cost per acquisition or cost per sale, whatever metric you're using, depending on your business, I find is a lot higher. Yeah. And so you're getting your reach, but not as many people click on ads on Twitter for whatever reason, it's the search behavior. And... Um, on Facebook, you reach a much wider audience if we're to believe the figures that we're getting from Facebook in terms of um, campaign reach. Why wouldn't you believe um, it? Why wouldn't you believe Because <laughs> they've never gotten them wrong before, <laughs> never. Um, so your cost per click ends up being a lot less, but then you have to spend a lot more to get your volume sale. But then over. the other side of it is a lot of people don't know how to advertise properly on Facebook. That's also true. You know, yeah. Promote, or as a promote now or boost now, boost now button. You know, they, people they, go straight to that. Button to boost it's now. basically like don't push the red button. Like oh, it's it there. And anyone that doesn't know how to use Facebook advertising platform correctly they'll go straight to it and they're wasting their money and it is but it is it is an easier one to it use is. like i mean the face if you're going to use facebook correctly in terms of its advertising potential again you've got to embed your facebook pixel and all your pages mm. set up your retargeting options monitoring it every day in terms of not only where are my clicks coming from A-B but where where are my impressions coming from and then if i'm getting a load of impressions from a certain core but the clicks there are quite low or if the cost per acquisition is quite high then i need to rejig my actual target so like there is a there's a huge science yeah. i mean that's even a dumbed down version of it but it's it there's a huge science behind how we use these platforms and again the boost button 
eliminates that fear almost of what it is what it's, will a, I lot, do it's here. a lot easier for novices that just come on for the first time but i think if anyone starts experimenting you're talking there all about like you know for a lot of maybe small businesses that are listening to this that don't understand your the acquisition rates and your cost per clicks and all this kind of stuff there is simplified versions of and i do think facebook have it laid out very very well in terms of a follow-through is basically nearly paint by numbers almost yeah um but i do think in terms of um you know building an audience building a few more followers it's not all about followers it's about engagement rate but driving traffic maybe to your website or to a, an e-commerce platform or wherever you want to drive them to it is quite good for that i think and it and what another thing that is kind of discounted i think because the measurement element is quite difficult but if you're selling a lot of people say well it's facebook and it's great because you can measure your cost per acquisition you can say i spent this amount on this campaign this amount of people saw it, this amount of people clicked on it, this amount of people bought it, these are all the costs and the breakdowns and stuff like that. But it's a lot harder to do that if you're selling a physical retail product which isn't e-commerce enabled. Mm. And I think a lot of brands kind of get a bit intimidated by that and discount that because it comes back to the classic, what is the return on investment for your advertising? Now, I think it's incredible. The amount of old school advertisers who kind of, they look for measurement on everything and I mean in terms of acquisition, cost per click, and these are the same guys who are using newspapers and all this. Nothing's going to be done without a return on investment, basically. Oh, exactly. <laughs> like, and again, you can measure a lot, but you can't tangibly measure everything. But there are certain tactics that you can um, use to measure the impact of digital in a real world as well. So like with some organizations, now what you would do is that you would target a certain geographical area, for example, um, or a certain radius around a particular store. And then based on the content that you're putting out to those different regions, do a regression analysis, for example, on the amount of impressions or the amount of clicks or the amount of video views um, or completion rates relative to your sales of that particular product versus a region that didn't have that ad running. Do you know what I mean? So there's other mechanisms that you can use to actually understand how digital advertising works in terms of generating real-world sales. But I think what's probably even better for small businesses is a lot of these a lot there's a lot of tools in the back of facebook that they don't realize they've even access to so there is this whole area of insights that is giving you a full breakdown of your pages who, who likes it your demographics your geographics whatever it is where they are who likes it and um, it even gives you there's even a nice one i think for which was very good for takeaways or for restaurants is you can see the the type of uh consumer that is passing your door yeah. You can you know it's based on your location. Yeah. You can see what you know what age, roughly what age they are, gender they are. You know it'll give you some of that kind of uh, information for literally who's passing your door. And then why wouldn't you target that? You know if you're looking for the footfall, why wouldn't you target them? No, it's you know, it, I mean look, it all, it all filters into it. Like I mean the the amount of data. I mean look the like the list. Some of our listeners will know this. Like particularly the ones who run businesses and stuff like that. But the little things that you do when you're looking to pick a store and where you actually and how you actually advertise from that store even simple things like if you um, have a store on the um, side of the footpath where the sun is shining or the side of the road the sun is shining your sales are probably or your footfall is probably going to go up by about 30% mm. so little small little things like that are just really really yeah. really important and again taking that old school thought and then using digital tools and platforms to apply it to those old school kind of scenarios, I think can be really effective. And it's not something that we talk about or we do that often. Mm. I think there has to be a nice blend of both. I think you have to take the tools that you have on offer um, and, you know, looking in, as I already said, looking into your insights and seeing who actually follows your page. But also then, as you, you, know, you said, using what we do as marketers in terms of day-to-day -day stuff, 
uh, that kind of gut feeling you have as a marketer to what might work and might not work and whether that comes into what type of content you use or what type of whether it's pictures or videos or you know looking down the, the road and what kind of maybe trends are coming down the road yeah no absolutely and I think like again what we are what we are talking about in a lot of cases is the vanity metrics yeah um, which don't really result in anything like I mean you can apply it to you can apply it to things like brand equity and stuff like that or if you're if you're doing a funding round if you're a startup it helps in those if you have got an audience um, but ultimately I think it does need to come down to ultimately how much revenue are you generating via your um, via digital channels so I suppose in terms of the the future of digital advertising then are there is there anything that you've seen recently that you think might be okay not that you've even seen but anything that you see in terms of a, a changing trend or what might happen in the future in terms of how we use digital advertising products to reach consumers we kind of talked about it a little bit before about you know especially when, since COVID kicked in um, for, for smaller businesses I suppose as well you know a lot of the bigger ones would already be utilising it but the whole area of getting your products online you know it's not just a physical store anymore so looking at platforms like you know you would have a good bit of experience around amazon do you know and looking yeah. at how do i get my products selling not just physically in a store but can i can i get them selling online you know and look some businesses are thinking jesus my products won't sell online you know whether it's a you know fresh food product or whether it's you know an ambient uh, food product or whether it's a physical you know piece of clothing or whatever it is Oh, there is a way around a lot of this to get them sold online. And I think nowadays with uh, COVID here, you know, you have to be a little bit creative in, in how or what platforms you use, I suppose, to, to get those products 100%. Sold. I think, I mean, they looked at the fastest growing e-commerce company in the world at the moment, um, with the exception of Amazon. But um, anyone who's looking to, again, kind of pivot their business into an online world, look at Shopify. Yeah. And don't just look at the Shopify um, e-commerce platform look at their e-pass system as well so everything is linked yeah. you can do your stock takes if someone buys something online it immediately is taken off your stock list Every you can do credit notes all the kind of things that you would do in your normal retail environment but taking that then and applying in the digital content an incredibly powerful tool um, and shop around as well it's important like so like if you look at Shopify one of the things that a lot of businesses use is Shopify payments um, Shopify payments is really really expensive in terms of your transaction cost so again shop around with your local bank and see if you can get a better transaction rate there but in terms of a platform in terms of its capabilities um, it's kind of a beta in many ways in that everything is just it's just there there's very little customization that you can do with, um, with Shopify um, unless you're a kind of a your developer and you build on the platform but that's all you kind of need as a small business owner I think is just that mechanism to reach customers manage your stock um, and do it in a way that com- doesn't completely interfere with your I think with your that's business. an important one you said there because I was dealing with a local business uh, recently that was selling online and they just put it up on, you know, they were using, we'll come to it maybe in a minute, but, you know, they were just using Facebook, uh, the shop on Facebook, they were using, uh, tagging the products through Instagram, but they weren't managing the physical stock that was coming through and the orders that were coming through. And as you said there about integrating maybe a system, it might sound expensive, like, you know, but it is actually worth it because, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to piss your customers off. You know, you, you're going to get in loads of orders and next thing you have no stock and you you have those orders. So you have, you have to ring them and do a refund or, you know, you have to give people their money, you know, or sorry, give their money back or, or you know, tell them they're going to be a few weeks, wait, a few weeks waiting. It's just going to annoy customers and not want them to buy from you. Yeah, and customer experience would be a big thing for you as well. Definitely. In terms yeah. of excellence, like in terms of repeat customers and so on and so forth. Um, like, I mean, look. I think in business the the rule that I would always use is that it's always cheaper to keep a customer than to uh, acquire a new one. Oh yeah, um, and repeat sales are just they're gold to every business. They're mm. so so important. Yeah. Um, I think one thing that you mentioned there, which I think is interesting, and it's a good thing for businesses, but it's also a bad thing for businesses. You mentioned Amazon. 
and we've done episodes in the past where I've ranted about Amazon and they've got too much control and um, roughly 50% of the e-commerce market well between 35 and 50% depending on what metrics you look at of the e-commerce market in the um, in the United States and I think what's interesting about Amazon is that do they offer a marketplace to, to small businesses? Yes, they do. Um, because things are more based on product searches rather than brand searches. Is in if you are Jenny's clothing store and you're a boutique and you're selling dresses or whatever, then it's about the dress. It's not necessarily about your boutique's brand necessarily. Yeah. So it gives you access to that marketplace where brand isn't as important essentially. But I think where there's a cannibalization there in terms of SMEs and even multinational business as well is that you've seen, particularly over the last, I would say, maybe eight years, a massive increase in the amount of Amazon-owned brand products. Mm. And that's all based on the data. So if you've got a huge amount of transactions going through Amazon, Amazon can spot straight away what are the high-selling items, what's moving, where can we have a margin here, undercut the competitors and of course again amazon own the marketplace they own the channel Mm. so if you type in dresses or you type in couches because i know they've got a known brand um, furniture um wing in amazon you type in couches the first one that's going to come up is going to be amazon because they control the marketplace so again there's that anti-competition piece there as well so it's an opportunity for retailers but it's also looking to the future it could be a detriment to retailers as well in terms of it gives you access to a global audience, but the global audience is kind of owned by Amazon. Mm. Um, I think even beyond that then as well, if we look at um, how that's even going to progress further. So at the moment, again, like I said, someone will type in couches into into um, into Amazon and Amazon comes up at the top, shall we say, or near the top. I think what's even more kind of, it's not insidious, I mean, it's, it's genius business strategy, but with the growth of voice, oh, here we go. you go... Alexa, <laughs> exactly. But if you go, Alexa, I want batteries. Alexa will order you batteries. But they're going to be Amazon batteries, yes. and you won't. And in in a in front of a screen, you'll probably scroll. You'll do a little bit of search. If your search, if you're doing a just a consumer packaged good, cheap product, you're going to ask for batteries. You're not even going to think of what brand you want. So therefore, Amazon you've is no, going to be the one. Yeah. You you're you're as you said, you've no brand, you've no control over what brand you're even looking for. It's just going to get it out. I think voice look. It's very very interesting. It's very very powerful. Um, personally, me, I'm not sure about you. Um, but me personally, I haven't gotten into it. Don't have an Alexa. Don't have you know, hey Google in the corner. Um, thankfully nothing turned on there on the computer. <laughs> <laughs> but um. No, I think I think it's definitely it's coming into homes a lot more. Um, but you would have definitely experience on how you might use that in a, in a shopping maybe a shopping setting. Yeah, it, it's not it's not absolutely clear. Like I mean, there's going to be essentially SEO for voice yeah. in a lot of cases. Like Using even right even a small thing. Like I mean, in if you look at SEO in terms of your YouTube videos, one of the tricks that you should do is that talk about what you're speaking about specifically in terms of keywords at the beginning of the video yeah. because that's what they're going to pick out in terms of what you say and that helps you in terms of your ranking and stuff like that um, so again how all these things impact upon marketers and how we actually go about building SEO capability um, is going to be really really interesting but again it's an opportunity um, but it's it also could be cannibalizing for, for local brands and look I mean the, the power of Amazon is is just phenomenal. Like, I mean, the one thing that I find about them at the moment, which is just completely fascinating, is this idea of zero-click ordering, okay. where, again, just based on data, if you're a Prime customer, and again, we said in a previous episode, more um, Americans have a, an Amazon Prime account than own a gun or put up a Christmas yeah. tree um, or go to church. Um, if you look at um, Amazon Prime customers, Amazon obviously knows all of their 
data what their purchasing habits are what they're interested in how frequently you buy something how often you impulse buy all this type of stuff so the idea that amazon have in terms of zero click ordering is that once a month or whatever the buying pattern is going to be they will send you a box of stuff essentially they'll take it straight out of your account and then you just put the rest of the stuff that you don't want back in the box and someone takes it away if it's not there they just discount it from your amazon prime account so Again, the fact that it's kind of a death of brand in many yeah, ways exactly. and almost a death of marketing as well in advertising because if you're now just being given product because this is what well, you why want. Why do you only need to go shopping then? You exactly. Know? Do you yeah. know what I mean? And again, it's not, look, this isn't going to be mass market, mass scale. Again, it's, it's up there with the, with the fucking delivery drones and stuff like that. Like, I mean, if you listen to Jeff Bezos a number of years ago, everything was going to be delivered by yeah. a drone. Like, do you know I mean, again, it's one of those technologies that we don't know how mature it's going to get, but it's just a little insight into how the world could be changing, yeah. particularly now. I mean, okay, I'm not saying that COVID is going to go on forever, but can you imagine a COVID world where, or another pandemic, for example, where we don't necessarily, or we don't go shopping as often and you want again that dopamine hit the idea of going out and getting something the same way that people get a dopamine hit from window shopping and mm. um, getting a box to your house and it's almost that surprise element of what did i get this month based on what my search patterns or my previous buying behaviors are and again the covid world that could be very very powerful um when again people have more money to spend more inclined to impulse buy um but they also can't go out as much essentially so again it's just a, it's just an interesting thought more yeah. so than anything else. as you're saying like that kind of subscription model is definitely very interesting i suppose looking back even to the way it's transformed over the last few years is people have signed up for say maybe you know you would have had your your magazine subscription you know your your your, your you know and that transformed then into into your emails you know you're getting your subscription online onto the tablet and now, as you said, like, you know, you're kind of maybe buying a package or you're getting involved in a package online that's given a, a few brands into your into your household. Yeah, exactly. No, it's it's it's, it's powerful. Really. And again, everything being driven by everything being driven by data, realistically. So I suppose like we kind of talked a lot about data and technology and the way that maybe even some of the big companies are doing it. Do you feel there's that in maybe some of our listeners in terms of business owners or marketers? maybe something that they could start looking at that might be changing coming down the line well in terms of the like the creative element I suppose more so than anything else yeah. again we've we spoken about the tech and the analytics and all that kind of stuff but it's something and at the moment it's going to be probably more for corporates and um, building corporate brands but it's going to become more important for, for, for SMEs as well is how different users are consuming different types of content there's a kind of a fallacy out there amongst a lot of people and I don't, I'm not entirely sure where it's come from. It come, it goes back to the, the humans only have a three second attention, like a goldfish and all this kind of nonsense. Yeah. Um, whereby people will at, will advise businesses that, well, when you're building branded content, it should only be like 10 seconds long or at most 30 mm. seconds long or whatever, whatever the case may be. Now, there has been a big rebirth of that since um, uh, stories, uh, particularly advertising and stories. Um, yeah, exactly. Um but what that should always lead into and what I find will be a big play for a lot of brands into the future is going to be long form content. Mm. If you look at um, the data in the United States, I think it's something like it's something insane. 30% of all Internet traffic goes through Netflix in terms yeah. of the, the, amount of, the amount of traffic that goes in relative to other, um, other competing brands. Not that many shows on Netflix, which are other, which are only 10 seconds and 30 seconds long. Yeah. So people do binge content and it's long form content. And if you can create content which is directly aligned with 
a consumer's kind of entertainment purposes, then all of a sudden they're going to be engrossed in your brand. Can you imagine, like we say it's powerful if someone even clicks on your story. Can you imagine how powerful a piece of content would be if someone sat down on Netflix and was looking at a piece of content for 20, 30, 40 minutes, an hour, or they were binging a series and throughout that series, your brand was sprinkled throughout it or it was totally about your brand if there was a kind of a documentary or something yeah. along those kind of lines. Um, I think that could be really, really interesting. But I think it's definitely changed and even in terms of, like I'm definitely for, I, I love long form content and creating that, that longer piece of, of video in particular. But I think the society has changed, especially in the last few months because they're sitting at home. So they're, they're you know, it's probably more powerful at the moment because they have a little bit more time to consume your content. So yes, you have only a couple of seconds maybe to grab their attention. But I think personally, I think when people know they're getting into watching a long form content, they will watch it as long as it's interesting, obviously. But I think you have a couple of seconds definitely to grab their attention. But once they know they're going to consume a bit of content that's going to be long form, they, I think they, they, they have no problem. There's massive opportunity. No, there's massive opportunities. And again, the attention bit is important. Like again, we've always said content needs to be thumb stopping. Yeah. You need to be aware that the content exists. But don't be afraid of long term content. Again, this this idea, this fallacy that everything needs to be short just just simply isn't true. Like you said, even if you take my own behavior at the moment, for example, did I always listen to podcasts? Yeah, I did. But if I was, we say, in the university, for example, and I was going for lunch with people we can't do that anymore then i'd be talking to people whereas now if i'm cooking at home i'll probably have a podcast on so there's more time for me to consume that long form content many of which can be branded content as well so again podcasts mini documentaries on youtube for multinational brands i think documentaries are going to be a huge thing like um uh, the best piece of um marketing content for nike like almost ever was um the last dance um documentary on netflix about michael jordan and it was all about okay there was very little of it about actual nike but to have a symbol like him and nike just plastered throughout the whole documentary and kind of reinvigorated because nike is an incredibly strong brand but again it brought back that kind of nostalgic feeling of why nike are nike and the previous associations that they would have had with celebrities like michael jordan so again that long form piece, I think, is going to be is going to be incredibly important. Like to to give one example, and brands have always great ideas, but they don't necessarily know how to communicate them. So I always had this idea. A number of years ago, there was a marketing institute event, um, and the CEO of Volvo was there, mm. and Volvo had this thing called Vision Twenty Twenty, which is when they made a commitment that nobody would be seriously injured or die That's in right. a crash evolving a Volvo, and I was kind of going this is an incredible statement to make. Like this is this is what brands should be doing, an incredibly powerful message that they'd be sending out to our consumers. That message that we will guarantee you that no one will be seriously injured or die in a car crash. It's not a sales pitch, it's a we care about It's a customers. mission, it's yeah. a mission, it's a vision, it's something that you could back and you can stand by or your engineers can buy into. And we won't go into it now, but Volvo do a huge amount of work in Sweden do, in terms yeah. of safety and all the rest of it. But I'd never heard about this as a marketer and as someone who teaches marketing. And I'd never heard of it before. And I was like, how often I heard about this? And it wasn't ever communicated anywhere. There was one television ad, um, which I saw. And it was a good television ad, but again, it was a television ad. What would have been amazing for Volvo to do would be do a documentary, yeah. um, Netflix style, on what I would call like the anatomy of a crash. Yeah. And then as... It's almost like those old um, airline 
crashes or investigation right. yeah, 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 they show yeah. the anatomy of how something actually some how, t- how something actually unfurled and as there is about to be a crash by the end of the show the crash doesn't actually happen but it shows the development in the technology yeah. from seat belts to your lidar technology all this stuff that's been built into the car and created by volvo over a number of years that would be really really interesting for petrol heads and car nerds and it would really really show the mission in its real actual form in a documentary you can't communicate that sort of commitment over just a 30 second tv ad so again when brands are doing incredible things they should be creating the content and promoting it in that long form content now obviously again to grab the attention you have to do your your stories not that but again i didn't see them doing that and that's kind of disappointing for something which is such a, a critical critical idea no i totally agree i think another thing that stems on probably from what you're talking about there is from an advertising point of view and maybe for um buying buying ads and buying or placing your logo in places you probably never thought about before is sponsoring or taking out an advert in these long form contents or you know we're not looking for sponsors now but you know sponsoring podcasts no, we're remaining independent no one is sponsoring this I mentioned Hugo Ross was created by the Nazis earlier on no one is sponsoring this Guinness podcast. might take us on Guinness, Guinness might take us on yeah but I think uh, you know looking at these kind of long form contents whether it's sponsoring videos or whether it's uh, you know as you said creating longer form videos to tell your brand story sponsoring podcasts looking, looking at where people's attention are now do you know it's not anymore not as, as much as it is still but not as much as it was in terms of in terms of print and, and maybe on air radio adverts but looking at where people's attentions are and seeing can you get your logo in there somewhere do you know or your products uh, or your links to your e-commerce where where can you put your, your logo and in, and in a meaningful way that it's not intrusive yeah um, like I mean one of the most powerful forms of digital advertising is native where it just kind of seamless, it almost seems when you're reading an article that the ad is part of the article almost, or they slip in something in the mm-hmm. article. But again, that's the most effective. It's very natural. It's not um, interrupting the consumer experience. Um, and again, you're, you're going to see a lot more of that where branding and marketing and advertising needs to be a bit more um, bit more subtle. Um, because I think now, again, in a world of in a world of Spotify, Netflix, and Amazon Prime, you just turn your ads off. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, I think, look, we finished it up there, and thanks uh, for listening to another episode of us waffling on uh, about something that we think we know about, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. why not? Uh, why not? Uh, as again, thanks again, everyone. Um, if you need any advice or help, uh, especially over the next coming weeks... Hang on, there now before you finish. What? No. You know what next week is? What next week is? What? The election. American election we get to talk about politics and marketing I can't and, wait and a certain fella I can't wait for it it's the only reason that I made this podcast is over after that you finished. knew the election was coming That's up it, yeah exactly <laughs> well look we'll definitely talk about that next week and as I say get in touch with us if we can do anything for you um, and thanks very much good luck good luck